This podcast discusses content that may be triggering for some listeners. Please be advised, discussions include gambling language, types of gambling, and addiction. Hello and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center under the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Across New York State, we have seven resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We are here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for support services for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance. There can be many types of gambling and it can affect anyone at any time in their life. It may not be talked about often and kept in the dark, but we hope this podcast sheds light on the hidden addiction of gambling and brings forth resources and information for you to use. Welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. We are in season two of the Hidden Addiction, and what an exciting time. We just want to thank everybody who has joined us and listened and supported us in this that first season, that whole journey of bringing forth information about problem gambling and how it affects different populations, where to get help, and how to connect with people. So we are gearing up with our second season and we have today with us, um, Jim Maney, who is the executive director of the New York Council on Problem Gambling. If you remember, he was our first guest or yeah, he was our first guest um, of season one. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, the legalization of online sports betting in New York State and how it's affecting our communities. So welcome, Jim. Thank you for joining us again. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and I look forward to it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So if you guys don't remember who we are, my name is Leilani Yizer-Reed. I am the team leader for the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center, and we have... Hey, everyone. I'm Colleen, one of the program managers. And I'm Amanda, the other program manager. Awesome, 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 awesome. So let's get into it. Jim, Jim. Can you give us an update on what uh, mobile sports betting is looking like in uh, New York State? I can, Leilani. It's interesting. I've been the executive director for the New York Council on Problem Gambling for 21 years. And I've seen many forms of expansion go on, be it quick draw, be it commercial casinos, be it VLTs. And mobile sports betting is going to be the greatest expansion of gambling in the state of New York's history. And now for the first time, we'll be able to go on our phones going on any platform, anytime, anywhere, any place to gamble. Who it's going to affect, and I get a little quieter here because to me, this is going to be very detrimental to many New Yorkers. If you take a look at the revenue projections from mobile sports betting, the industry talks about making a billion dollars a year. And how we look at that from the New York Council on Problem Gambling is that New Yorkers will lose a billion dollars. And a lot of folks that will lose that money can't afford to lose it. It will develop problems 
as a result of it. So even though most of the press is about, oh my God, we got this greatest thing occurring in mobile sports betting and everybody's juiced about it. We know the real story for some folks. Some folks will be devastated. Some families will be devastated. And yet it may be good for the state to raise revenues and good for industry and good for jobs. We're well aware that there is going to be a price for this. And it's going to be New Yorkers, mostly the most vulnerable New Yorkers will suffer as a result of this. So I really appreciate you having me on today to talk about mobile sports betting. It's interesting because when you put it as a billion dollars, people are going to be spending a billion dollars. And that's just a billion dollars that's going out there. And we're losing that. I mean, like, I don't know. I would hate to lose $20 if I dropped it on the street. And just to imagine that amount of money being lost. And sometimes, especially with, uh, we talk a lot about um, cashless transactions, you know, just let, we, we, we don't pay attention. Some of us don't even pay attention to our bank accounts when we're just spending money, especially now where you have, because um, I recently at the tail end of, of 2021 started using um, tap and pay, right? And with tap and pay, all you have to do is just hold your phone up and here and keep it moving. You know, and half the time I don't take the receipt and half the time I'm not, I'm not really paying attention. I'm just like, it's, it's just easy and, and, and accessible for me. And especially for somebody who half the time I don't like carrying a pocketbook. I don't like carrying like a lot of things. So it's it's easy. And that accessibility is not going to be good for some people like with, with sports betting and online. It's not going to be good because they're not paying attention to how much they're spending and possibly how much they're losing. Well, when you take a look at mobile sports betting, you just take a look at the advertisement because you can always follow the money when it comes to this. So the advertisement is on sporting events, social media, and it's really targeting, you know, young men between the ages of 18 and 40, because that's where you're going to find it. And it's interesting that Wayside just did a survey, Office of Alcohol and Substance Abuse Services, just did a survey. And what they came out with that the folks that are having the most difficulty with um, gambling in the state of New York are 18 to 24 year old um, folks, mostly males. And once again, this is just going to tackle on to an already existing problem. If you think about the brain chemistry, the brains aren't fully developed, uh, you know, until we're 25, maybe even 27. I, I have a 22-year-old son, and uh, he was telling me about the index of some of the boys that he knows uh, just, just over the last weekend. They got, they got onto every platform, all four that were available, took every bonus, and they couldn't wait. They were like, I can't believe we're getting free money. If they gave me free booze like this, this would be absolutely amazing. But no one's coming to my house and just giving me free booze, but they're giving me free money to gamble with. And I have a 19-year-old daughter, and she told the story of Colin and Will. And Colin and Will are not her age, 19-year-old, and they're young men, and they're sports guys, and they follow it, and they played fantasy, not for money. They don't have a bookie. They don't have a guy down at the bar. They don't have anything to gamble with. They don't gamble offshore. But they got their 21-year-old sister to sign them up. And they all have four accounts that they're gambling on. And the word that she used is like, they are so stoked for that. I'm not sure what that means, but they are so stoked for this. And that's just stories of my kids. And that's the age group. And these folks haven't been gamblers before in the typical sense, 
right? They're not, you know, they don't have the bookie. They're not going online to a sh offshore or anything like this. These are new gamblers, new gamblers to the field. And if you think about it, if we took a look at this in alcohol and we said, okay, non-drinkers, non we're just going to really submerge them in alcohol. Would we allow it? A, first of all, we wouldn't allow it in our communities. A, we wouldn't allow it in the state of New York. But for gambling, it's a different story because everybody still thinks how harmless this behavior is. My concern is that we don't know, A, what this new technology, how fast it is, really impacts this generation. This generation already knows the platforms. It's not like they have to learn how to use the internet or use their phone. That's all they use. They don't know how to use a TV. They don't know how to use, but they know how to use these things. And they're just bringing the gambling to them. And if you think of it in those terms, that's what mobile sports betting is, right? It's making the norm of a behavior of gambling, of sports. That's a norm in our society and bringing it to the people where they live. And if you think about it, what young men like the most is high excitement and using low energy. And tell me this isn't the most amazing combination of the two. Sitting on your couch, gambling, getting the rush, getting the excitement, the whole thing by doing nothing. So, yeah, we should all be alarmed at this. One thing I wanted to um, just kind of bring up, you had mentioned with the $1 billion of revenue. I thought it's so interesting because that revenue before they kind of come to that final number, you have to even take into account, not only are they making so much money on lots of people across the state of New York, but they're also spending a lot of money on advertisements. So that $1 billion of revenue, that doesn't include or doesn't at least show how much money is going into the advertisements that are going out. And I know that I've been seeing it and we've been talking about it across the state. You're seeing it on the TV, you're seeing it on social media, and it's constant. Every time I open my phone, there's another advertisement. And you're right. It's one of those things where it's not only exciting and something that's very easy to be done on that little computer that we all have in our pockets, but it's also infiltrating so many different social media apps. We were just talking on our clinician supervision about how there are different ways of gambling, whether it's watching people gamble or talking about um, statistics or talking about just the numbers on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook. There's just going to be so many different, I guess you can call them small communities, but they're on these social media apps that's, that those apps are not only for adults. Most of those apps are marketed towards the younger generations, marketed not only to young adults, but also to children. I know a lot of children in that new generation are on TikTok. So if you're kind of considering the exposure and I mean, it really does feel like the floodgates have opened, really immersing everyone in our state, in the country, you know, really as far as it reaches to mobile sports betting and really normalizing. This is fine. This is fun. We're going to give you all of these great incentives. Join us. How great will it be for you to be a part of this? So it's, it's just one of those things where it is very concerning. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation now and we're able to spread this awareness because I think that we're going to have a lot of work to do uh, in the coming months and years. Um, not to mention, uh, Amanda, I just wanted to point out like the celebrity involvement in some of these advertisements that they're really pushing these promotions and, and deals that are, are happening. And the other thing, I was actually just listening to one of our, I think Elizabeth sent it out in Central, 
about the the bills, right? So they are promoting because like we're in New York, the bills have a chance of, you know, making it to the, to the Super Bowl that they're getting incentives. If you're in New York to bet on them. Right. So they're making it more fun, more exciting. Like New Yorkers have that buy-in now because it's their team that they're, that they're betting on. So I just think, you know, people are going to be hooked, right? Like, yeah, let me, let me get this. Let me get this, um, this advertisement. And also, I think, you know, we talked about this in our air clinical supervision the other day, just the amount of hits, the geotags uh, data. I think it was 17 million people had logged in on that first day of mobile sports betting in New York. Yeah, 17.2 million. The greatest opening day for the industry in any state ever. The numbers are going to be off the chart. You know, even the governor shared yesterday in her budget address, putting out the, this year's budget, about $150 million was gambled, the handle was, in two days. In, in, in two days, $150 million. And she was very proud of it and talked about how successful it's going to be. And even the industry shared it was much more successful than they even dreamed it would be. Um, so, yeah, we have a lot of work to do, you know, and, and it's interesting. But I will say this, that for the first time that I've, I have seen a lot more awareness of problem gambling. All right. You know, you, you get that and, and, and people see that. And there have been a couple ads and we've been fortunate to get our QR code. QR code is that what it's called? QR code on issues and it comes right up to the PGRCs, which is a wonderful thing for our organization and for folks to get help that is coming right up. So, I mean, once again, there is a lot being done and there's a lot more that needs to be done. But to, I guess that, but to me, mobile sports betting is there, it's done. They're gonna continue to advertise it. They need to get as many new uh, folks to sign up as possible because you know the research shows that once you sign up to one app, you really don't change often. That's you find that you go to it and you gamble on it. So a lot of the marketing is being done now to get those, you know, folks to sign up and, and catch them for life. I know this is about mobile sports betting, but I got I got to share with you that this is just the beginning. I mean, we're going to have three new casinos in the state of New York and all be downstate. We're going to have iCasinos eventually legalized. We're going to have iGambling legalized. We're going to have poker, online poker legalized shortly. So it's just beginning. And the technology is only going to get faster, quicker, stronger, and better. And the ability to, which is going to be a new thing, the ability to play in, in play games. In the past, we could bet on a team. You'd bet on the Giants to win or lose and the over-under. That's basically what the games were. And you have to wait the three hours, you know, to find out if you win. Now we're betting on everything. You're betting on every player, how many yards they may get, how many yards they may get in the first, how many catches will they get, how many touchdowns will they get. Everything is up for grab. And what the scariest piece is, is the results of data. So you're going to go on there. You're going to find out no different than Netflix. So Netflix will show if you like Narcos, you're going to like these five shows. And eventually... I put on those five shows because they know what I like now. So the same thing is happening now. So you're going to be there on your couch, whatever, and you like the Lakers and LeBron James, right? And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you get a little bored and all of a sudden something comes on and says, LeBron's got four points. Do you think he's going to get four more points in the second quarter? Press here, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm Jack. And they'll show a highlight of LeBron dunking or something like that. And so they're bringing the entertainment 
that everybody wants. And then the end result will be to increase your bets and the time gambling. And if you think about my daughter on TikTok, they are on TikTok and she laughs, shows her brother. I mean, it's, it's, it's the funniest form of entertainment I've ever seen because it never ends. And so it's the same concept. They're doing the mobile sports betting for a form of entertainment that never ends. So they're going to keep you hooked and keep the sports better hooked. They know how to keep the sports better hooked. They know what the sports better likes, what their trends are, what they're like to gamble on, and how do they keep increasing that bet. So it's a marvelous strategy, but it just means that more people, the faster, the availability, the quickness of what we are seeing obviously leads to more problems, right? And if you think about it, how long I've been doing this, when we first started doing this, you saw middle-aged white men who played the horses and their gambling problem took about 30 years to manifest. 30 years, because go to Saratoga, there's only nine races. After the ninth race, there is no more gamble until the next day, right? And there was only nine of those a day. So it took a long time to develop a problem. Now, think about it. How many times can you gamble in a second, in a minute, in whatever? never ending. So if I had my wish, we would do this. We'd have the same amount of money as the industry had, and we would be bombarding folks, family members, spouses. This is what to look for. There's where to get help, bombarding them. And hopefully one day they would say, oh my God, I'm getting too many ads about problem gambling, too many ads about problem. They're all over the place. They're on social media. They're on this. They're on so anyways, you, you really said a, a lot. You talked about the rabbit hole and then you and then you made your way into like talking about advertisement. And, you know, in order for us to be able to advertise, we need funding. We need state funding for treatment. We need state funding for prevention, messaging and education. And there's so many reasons. So why should the public, and I mean, as to why the public should advocate for state funding, but why do you think the state, what do you, what do you think the state should do in regards to, um, and how can they support in terms of bringing more funding? Where do you think is the, the money is best, can be best used? Sure. What you said, Leilani, is true. We need more money for education, prevention, treatment, recovery, and also research. We, we, we don't know who's being impacted. You know, I've been calling for a social impact study for 20 years for the state of New York to find out. If, if you think about when fracking was going to start about 10 years ago, I think we did four $5 million studies to find out if fracking would be good for the state of New York. And eventually they said it wouldn't be and they're not gonna do fracking. But we've never done a study of, of uh, the social impacts of problem gambling in the state of New York. So a lot of times we're just throwing darts at a dartboard that doesn't know. Resources, yeah, I think we need as many resources as if you think about this in, in the OASIS system, there are, right, everything. There's mobile vans going out into communities to help folks, right? There's inpatient programs, there's interventions, there's so much resource, resources being done. There's so much information, education out there. We need all those services for problem gamblers and their families. I think one of the bigger issues that we face, Leilani, is why it's hard to get the money. If you think about mobile sports betting, New York State will get 51% of the profits and the industry will get 49% of the profits. So we are in partnership with the industry. So we want to basically see that number get high. 
And so you can't serve two masters at once, I don't believe. You cannot be pushing something and trying to regulate it and serve it at the same time. It's the dichotomy. It's hard to do, almost impossible to do, because once again, you're balancing your book on the revenues gotten to gain from this, a billion dollars per se, right? Keep going. And so why would you put money, why would you even acknowledge that there's a problem? Because if there was a problem, then you'd have to say, what are we really doing? Maybe we should step back a second and do more work. Maybe we should find out where the problem is occurring. Where are folks showing up? What is happening? Are they showing up at DSS? Are they showing up in bankruptcy courts? Are they showing up in domestic violence situations? Where is it? But we don't ask those questions enough. So what we need to do truthfully is get more resources. And you know, we're, we're, we're sharing that we would like 3% of the resources. Six million is fine, but really you need a percentage because if it keeps going up, $6 million will never be enough to address this. We know that, right? That might've been when the, when the projections were $39 million in revenue at one time, but now the revenue is based on like five, you know, one, $1 billion of the state getting 551% of it. So we need a percentage of that. And then we need a comprehensive plan of what we're gonna do to address this. We have to get into every community no different than the substance abuse fields are. We need to get to every person in the state of New York needs to be aware of this because every person in the state of New York is gonna be aware of the opportunities to gamble. And so we need to make sure that policy idea about it, that everybody else has the same chance to get the services and help and the education to make decisions. And going back to we're already behind the eight ball because you think about the advertisement that every kid is seeing currently. Eight-year-old boys, nine-year-old boys that play sports, which was, I was one of them, follow sports, watch sports on television. They're getting inundated with this. So the norm already is, this is part of what you do. You watch sports, you gamble on sports. So we got our work cut out for us. It's definitely a norm because even prior to youth, they, they were they were used to March Madness and all the brackets that have been going on, you know, that it's seen in their schools by teachers playing it casually. Um, so these things have been seen, but like you said earlier, um, it's gonna be more in your face. And it is, while it wasn't maybe what they saw in the schools, it's not gonna follow into their homes because now they're home on their phones and seeing advertisements and things like that. So it's a little crazy. But I think that we, as the, you know, this organization, New York Council on Problem Gambling, I think that the people that we have working in this space is more than equipped to be there and, and do for the community. But like you said, we, can, we, we do need more money to be able to treat people and we do need more money to be able to educate people. So I, I did want to talk to Amanda and Colleen because I know around the state, we, we've been seeing that while there, there has been an increase of people, once the, the, the floodgates open, everybody started, there was a, like a lot of people, what did you say, 17.2 people uh, started gambling. But what does that look like on the treatment side? Did we see um, an increase in calls during this time? Yeah, so I definitely, I mean, I had the phones right after um, mobile sports betting opened and um, I, I, I had an increase in call volume. And one thing I will say is they weren't all sports bettors, but I think what they're, what it shows is that because there is so much advertisement out there, 
so much stuff going on. I think that it triggered a lot of people. And also the one positive I will say is the Hope Line and our um, website in the QR code are on all of the advertisements. So I think that people seeing that may have been encouraged to reach out for help, even if they weren't struggling with their sports gambling, but if they heard that advertisement. Um, but yeah, we definitely, at least my my the first week after mobile sports betting, definitely saw an increase um, in call volume. And also there was a concern among our clients who are already in treatment for that being a really tough time for them, especially if they were already struggling with their sports betting. Then when the mobile sports betting became illegal, it was very difficult for them. Yeah, I would add to that. I know that we have also discussed, so there is voluntary self-exclusion, which is a process that's available to kind of self-exclude from, previously it was from other gaming facilities across the state. And so we are still learning to navigate what that looks like for mobile sports betting. But just for anyone listening, uh, that is an option if you would like to opt out of receiving those advertisements, opt out of really being able to log on if, you know, if receiving these advertisements, if these various apps to, uh, you know, gamble on sports is something that could be a relapse trigger, uh, you know, be feeling uncomfortable for you. There are opportunities to opt out through voluntary self-exclusion, and we can definitely help you navigate that. There is one thing that I wanted to ask just in terms of increasing call volume and just this incredible increase of access and availability of gambling across New York State. New York State is not the first state to have legalized mobile sports betting. And so one thing that I think we should always do when navigating new waters is look to see what others who have navigated these waters have been through, what it's looked like for them, what has worked, what hasn't worked. So this is kind of like a multifaceted question, which usually mine always are, but just kind of considering how New York State saw an incredible increase to whatever their even like projected revenue was going to be for that opening weekend. Jim, what did other states see and how do you think New York is going to compare? What can we learn? I don't know. Whatever your thoughts are on that, I'd love to hear. Sure. <clears throat> we, we can take a look at the mature markets and you can really take a look at the United Kingdom and Australia when we talk about uh, sports betting, mobile sports betting. And they've been around a lot longer than the United States as a result of the uh, you know law saying they couldn't have sports betting. So what we've seen in those two jurisdictions, those two countries, is that they have an alarming rate of addiction. They have an alarming rate of other issues that are going on. In the United Kingdom, they are starting to ban all forms of advertisement around mobile sports betting, about any type of sports betting. Um, they are not showing sports betting ads during games anymore before it was inundated like you see in ours. Um, they're changing the requirements what happened in the United Kingdom and Australia, they didn't have a lot of rules and regulations put in place and it was a kind of a wild west. And henceforth, um, government had to catch up. And so now there's a lot more safeguards put in place, be, be, be it advertisement, be it ability to get treatment, be it ability to market th their product. So for the first time, there are safeguards put in on when they can market, what they can market. Um, they've changed no different than we've talked about. <clears throat> you have to get rid of the ability to gamble. So they've closed down many of the betting shops, which were on every corner of the street. And they've minimized that like we've done in with, you know, cigarette variety things. So I believe and the industry believes the same thing. Eventually, the regulations will catch up and we'll have to take a look at this advertisement because in my mind, the advertising is, is predatory in some ways. Right. They're 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 
going after people that they really shouldn't be given free money to. They call it risk-free bets. And, you know, I've been in this field a long time. There's no such thing as a risk-free bet. Every bet could lead to the devastation of something. No different, right? Your first cigarette has led to many people getting lung cancer and dying. Your first drink has led to many people having difficulties as a result. So let's not say any first is anything. In fact, that's probably the scariest piece of all this stuff. The people that will be gambling for the first time in the comfort of their home. That's the scary piece, you know? And then the second piece is the inundation of everything. So what I'm trying to say is we've seen in all the mature markets, now suddenly they're putting some safeguards in place. The communities have risen up. The people have spoken like enough is enough. You know, there have been marches. They're making the, in the United Kingdom, they're making, take a look at every suicide in the United Kingdom to find out how many are related to gambling. I'd love to see that in New York State. We don't have those things. We have no clue, you know, when people are dying of variety of things. And when it comes to gambling, you know, if someone gets in a car accident and there's 20 beer bottles in the car, they kind of know the person was, you know, drunk and crashed their car. But we don't know that with gambling. Right. We, we, we don't know what people are. We don't know when they show up to an emergency room if gambling because we're not asking the questions. So I think we have to do a lot of those. So, yes, we have to regulate this market a lot more than we're doing right now. You think about it. Should young kids be seeing advertisements about mobile sports betting right now? Should they be inundated with these ads? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that's the healthiest thing for anybody to do. That's why we have safeguards in place for hard alcohol, for cigarettes, for a variety of things that we have banned over the years. We put G ratings on things, X ratings, R ratings on things. But right now, if we're gambling, we don't have any of that stuff. I think what we will see later on as a result of seeing more difficulty and more problems as a result of this, it usually catches up that people say, wow, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. You know, and, and, and we already know this in the, in the opioid crisis, right? If we could go back and change things 10 years ago, we would, wouldn't we? We would do a lot of things, right? Everything from we wouldn't allow as many prescriptions. We'd take a look at the message. And the message at one time was like, man, don't feel no pain. If you can take medication, don't feel no pain. Don't go through anything. Just take these two tablets and you'll be fine, right? So that became the, the norm too of it. That was the same for everybody, man. If you got to feel the pain, don't feel it. Don't feel it. Take the medication. And we saw what happened as a result of all these things. So, yeah, we're going to have to do a lot more in this field. Thank you. I really appreciate that because, I mean, just kind of thinking about how, you know, we're two weeks into mobile sports betting being legalized. We're heading up to the Super Bowl, which is, you know, obviously going to be a big weekend as it usually is. But now with mobile sports betting on the table, I think it's going to add just so many more layers of risks and, and potential problems coming from it. I know that, and I wish I remember the actual statistic, but I remember seeing, um, I think it was New Jersey, how they saw a dramatic increase after mobile sports betting was legalized in the state to their helplines, people calling in for help. And I know that, again, we're only two weeks into this, but just even talking with our other PGRC partners across the state, they're seeing similar things. And like Colleen said, it's not only people calling in because sports betting is their, you know, kind of vice of choice or, or, you know, what they're dealing with, but it could just be potentially a very large trigger for a lot of people. So the more that we can have these conversations, you know, there are going to be so many people impacted. And we always say with problem gambling, it's not just the individual that is 
impacted with the addiction, right? One individual struggling with problem gambling can impact up to eight to 10 more people. That's their, you know, their partners, their family, their friends, their workplace, if they're in school, right? That's impacting their school. This is, it's a problem that spreads. I mean, even farther than that, their general community, if there's crime involved, if there's aggravation and frustration, what is that going to look like? Yeah, to get back in Pennsylvania, saw a 285% increase in their calls through the helpline. And in New Jersey now, 50% of the folks in treatment are mobile sports bettors. So yeah, you see quite the change already within two years in those jurisdictions. So I think we're going to see the same thing. Yeah, Amanda, okay. you bring up a very interesting thing. I, I know a friend of mine personally whose father was a, a pathological gambler and lost everything, lost a house, lost a family, went to prison. And he had to drop out of school because there was no more money for him to go to school. And his life changed tremendously as a result of that. It took his, not his, but his kids' generation to come back financially just to where they were before. So we see that a lot of times, and it's just not the family. It's the next family generation down as a result of whatever the devastation was caused. So I think that's a fascinating piece because, you know, when we talk about this, and I used to be in the substance abuse field and ran an inpatient drug rehab for years. And one of the things I noticed immediately coming into the problem gambling field was the amount of money that people owed. Now, in substance abuse, everybody, they lost everything, right? You got nothing, you came back. It was, a street, it was a street level program. But the notice is they didn't owe any money. They didn't have any money. They lost every money, but they didn't have eight credit cards, you know, maxed out at $350,000. And what we see immediately with gamblers, the ones that I dealt with years ago, was that the amount of money that was lost was going to take so long to recap. And I remember a, a family that I dealt with one time and um, they owed $77,000. And she had found out that her husband had a gambling problem because she went in to buy a car and she was a, a, a professional person. She was a nurse, so she had her own salary and stuff and she was gonna buy her car. And she filled out her credit information. The guy came back and laughed and says, you gotta put all 13 of your credit cards down. She's like, I beg your pardon, 13? While well, the husband had taken out like a good gambler, taken out 12 credit cards in her name, right? And got him sent to a, a post office box and everything was going smooth because he'd pay off one to pay the other, get a new credit card and just pay the minimum, all these things. So he got busted. Anyways, so they were in therapy and we were talking and they owed $77,000. And so he said, I'll get a second job. Okay, I'll get a second job. I'll work and I think he said, I'll work at Walmart. I said, okay, let's figure this one out. You owe $77,000, right? All your other wages and everything is being, I wasn't gonna take you. If you work even 40 more hours, we figured it was gonna be like 34 years in two months to pay this debt off. And if you know anything about gamblers, it's an impulse control disorder. You think they're gonna wait 34 years when they know the next bet could break them even? right? Could break them even. You can't say that in substance abuse. You can't say, yeah, I've been drunk for 12 years. If I go out and have one more bender, everything's going to be great. No, but gambling is a different animal. And that's why we have to get it before it gets too bad. Because when it gets too bad, the options are horrible, right? To stop gambling, then you got to take a look at the money you owe. And the reason that you kept gambling is because if you wanted the action, but it's also because of the money you owed and you want to make it back. So that becomes the slippery slope 
right? Chasing your losses, chasing your losses, chasing your losses. And then it becomes when you finally, then it's just about action because you really don't care about anything else. You just want that high, that action. You don't care if you win or lose. So those are the things in, in regards to mobile sports betting. If you think about it, there's always a next game. There's always a next bet. There's always a next thing. It doesn't end. So you think about what's going to go happen in, in our state. So, yeah, we'll go lead up to the Super Bowl. And then we go right into March Madness. And I was a, I was a college basketball player. And I can't imagine people betting on me and my team. I can't imagine that. What that must feel like for some of these college athletes that are 17-year-old guys knowing that all of a sudden there's going to be millions and millions of dollars bet on my team. We got to win. It's just a different way of looking at things. And if you think about it, in a school like wherever, where the kids can, they may know the basketball player, the football player, right? They may know he was out the night before. I ain't betting on these guys. That guy was crazy last night. I saw him at the party, right? They're going to lose. Georgetown going to beat him today. You know, just all these where the young kids aren't really able to handle all the information that come in. And they, now they have the controls right in the palm of their hands. And that, don't you think that also has an effect on the, the mental health status of the, the individual? You know, not the better, but the athlete, you know, that is being bet upon and, and, and it can mess up their game because they know that every, every single uh, uh, pass, I'm not a sports person. Possession. We'll say possession. <laughs> every uh-huh. single pass or every single shot or whatever touchdown, whatever happens, you know, is, is predicated on like on somebody, uh, somebody's because it's not just one person. It's a lot of people who just bet on how much you're going to run or what are you going to shoot? And it just, it's, it's a rabbit hole. And that definitely, to me, that can mess with somebody's psyche. Well, Let's think about the Buffalo Bills this week. So they're encouraging every Buffalo fan to bet on Buffalo. And they all will, trust me. So now it's going to be late in the game. They're down two points. And the kicker's got a chance for the field goal, right? If he makes it, he's a hero. If he misses it, he's not a hero. But he lost them all the money. It's a double-edged sword now because more and more people are involved in this gambling aspect of it. You're right, Leilani. We don't know how it's impacting anybody. We have no clue. And that's why I think we need to do research at the same time to talk about people. What are the pressures they're feeling? What are you going through? What are families going through? What do spouses go through watching her husband on that couch all day and all night knowing that they're gambling? Not knowing how much they're gambling. How does it affect them? Interesting thing is we don't know what's going to forward what lies ahead with us you know and i think we need to do more work now than wait to see what the results might be in two or three years we can't wait a year to start doing prevention we can't wait a year to start doing counter advertisement we can't wait a year to make sure that everybody can get treatment in their community by you know a therapist of their choice we can't wait we can't wait for education because we don't know what's going to happen. We, we can imagine because we've seen it in other jurisdictions. And I think the longer we wait, the more troubles we're going to have. 
This is a this is a the main reason why we had you last year as our first guest to talk about the onset of this uh, of this law, and this is why we had you as our first guest in the second season to really to talk about it again because we want to keep putting it in the forefront of people's mind amongst other topics, but just how important prevention and education is, and how important funding for treatment is and why do we need these services because there are a lot of people who are going to be who are it's not even going to be who are affected so yeah and this in in mobile sports betting isn't just done in a vacuum i mean the state of new york with state-sponsored gambling you know 10.2 10.2 ready billion dollars were lost last year that's where we're already going. And now we're bringing another billion dollars on top of that. This isn't just a new phenomenon of gambling. It's a new about mobile sports betting. But New Yorkers are already losing. Uh, the, the Naira, the, the racetracks, they saw a 16% increase in handle this year. So gambling is becoming more and more prevalent all the time. And more people are losing their money. And suddenly we're in it, you know, we're going through, I don't know, COVID. And people have lost their, I don't know where they're coming up with $11 billion to lose on gambling. Um, but I think we got work to do. Yeah, I think it was at one of the conferences we had, but we were talking about how, you know, in years past, getting new gamblers kind of to gamble, right? Whether it was at the casino or at the racetracks. But now it seems, in addition to those different venues of gambling, there are just all these new different avenues opening up, right? So in New York State, we're going to have mobile sports betting, which it's not a new thing, but it's just another avenue to gamble on. We're seeing gambling happening in video games, online, in different apps. I was watching a video of people gambling on which car was going to drive by. So, you know, in what you're saying, it, it it's just so true. Gambling is so normalized. It's so present, but oftentimes because it's so normalized, we don't even realize it happening. And it feels like it's not even a big deal. And I think that one of the biggest things that we're going to have to do, I always go back to what you say, we do two things at the New York Council on Problem Gambling. We raise awareness and we get, you know, those who are adversely impacted, we get them help. And that first one of raising awareness of gambling, problem gambling, disordered gambling is such a big, big, big job because that's the first step, that prevention, that education, getting people to understand that, yes, you can absolutely gamble responsibly, just the same as that you can walk across the street responsibly and you can eat responsibly. You can do all these other things, but there are risks associated. There are a very large number of people who are adversely impacted and those people impact other people. And this is a people problem. So how can we get more people to advocate with us? How can we get more people to be really advocates for those who are, are impacted? Uh, and one thing I do want to mention, you know, you were saying before that we can't wait a year to start research. We can't wait a year to do prevention. And that is 1000% the truth. And NYCPG, the PGRCs, we're already on board, right? We've been doing this work and we're going to keep doing this work. But anyone listening, we need you to do this work with us, right? We're all doing what we can, when we can, sometimes even further than that, but we need help, right? And at the end of the day, as it stands, we are, we're up against it. So we need all the help that we can get. And, and that doesn't mean that you need to 
open your own research institute and start doing research independently. It could be as simple as sharing a social media post. It could be hanging up a flyer in your office. It could be adding a screening tool. If you're assessing clients, if you're, if you are hosting meetings, if you're involved in AA or NA or any of these other recovery meetings, just having the conversation because there are so many people, right? We call this the hidden addiction podcast. We talk about gambling, right? Because it is very easy to hide your gambling and it's very easy to hide your addiction. But if we start having these conversations, if we start kind of removing that stigma and taking you know, this out of, out of the shadows of shame, we can start really helping more people. And I think that that's, I mean, obviously everyone on this call, that's what we're kind of focused on. But if we can get more people to stand behind us, that's just the power of numbers. That's what we need. People, purpose, passion. Yeah, and if you think about it, and the, the term we like to use, if, if you're not doing something about it, you're part of the problem. So you really need to do, we all need to do something about this because this is an issue for everybody in our state, right? This is, this is an issue that we all need to take a look at. And we, we all don't have to, we, the council didn't take a stand for or against gambling, right? But as human beings, we should take a stand about, we don't want to see anybody suffering. We don't want to see anybody having difficulties. And I think universally, we can all agree on that. And so how do we agree on that and do something about it? Because they're all tied in. I don't care if your job is substance abuse. I don't care what domestic violence, anything in the helping field. We're all in the same field. We're all in the helping of people. We're all in the humanizing of not wanting people to have difficulties. So we have the common we have a common thread there. It's how do we get that common thread together and working instead of in silos all together on almost like a holistic approach to helping in this. Because you're right, we're not gonna see a lot of people who are gonna come out because gamblers, they wanna keep gambling. That's their way. No different drinkers wanna keep drinking. And unless there's somebody there helping them get services, we're in trouble. So you're right, Amanda, we need everybody's help in this. And, and nothing is too little. You know, you've seen those on the, you know, when you have a telephone and raising money to always say, you know, even if it's a dollar, 50 cents, nothing ever is. In, but that's the same with us. Anything you can do to really raise the awareness and help, right? I always say to people when I talked on the, on the, on the state levels, like, I advocate for you. I advocate for you and your children. I advocate for your grandchildren because you don't know what's going to happen. Just like we don't know who's going to become alcoholic. We don't know any of these things. So I'm advocating for you. Join with me. Join with me. Let's protect your children. Let's protect your grandchildren. Let's make sure there's enough safeguards in place for them. And they kind of take a look different stand when you share it that way. It's like, yeah, we all can do something about this. Because when we break it down, this is about advocating for people, caring about people who really do not have a voice. In fact, the other voice is $220 million of adding ads out there, right? If we had our way, give us $220 million and we will raise the awareness of problem gambling no different than the industry did. It, it seems to be grossly unfair and not a great public policy that the expansion of gambling has $220 million to share. And how much do we have? So let's make it fair. Let's give the people in New York a chance, right? Let's give them a chance. Let's put additional money in there. There has to be. There has to be the word out there. There has to be counter advertising that there's help available. And so that's the fight that we have and all the little things. And, and 
anything that we can do is good enough. Anything that you can do is enough. And I would like to say that we in the Mid-Hudson, we thank all of our partners, we thank the communities for willing to talk about this issue and willing to promote and give the dollar, <laughs> as Jim was saying, is, is small, the, the smallest donation or the smallest uh, uh, um, thing that you have done, even if it's sharing our social media posts, going to our web pages, attending our trainings, promoting our trainings. We just, we just thank all of you um, who've, who's, who have ever partnered with us in anything. So to end this Well, for those of you listening, you know, one thing, as Leilani was saying, you know, getting involved, um, raising awareness in March, we are having our annual conference, the New York Council on Problem Gambling. It is going to be virtual this year. It is March 9th and 10th, two days. You can jump on for half of it, all of it, whatever you can attend. We are going to link in the show notes to our um, conference page. Please be sure to sign up, subscribe to the NYCPG email list so that you can receive information on there. And we also want to encourage anyone who is, you know, working towards their recovery or in recovery or is a family member of someone in recovery um, to attend the conference. And we do have a scholarship that we really want you guys reach out. If you want to attend, uh, we would love to have anyone who is willing uh, to come. And we also offer credits. Uh, I believe it does always definitely Oasis credits, uh, social work credit for those who are looking for continued education uh, credits. Jim, once again, we thank you. We thank you so much for coming on and talking about this important issue and uh, always spreading awareness. Well, thank you guys. I mean, once again, always enjoyable. You guys make it nice. You make it, you know, it's great to be a part of your group. Really, it's 